really, really good question. If that was me now, the first question I'm asking myself is how do I contribute to the problem and have I done all I can to minimize my contribution to that problem? Because I think it's unfortunately, this isn't just of, of us as practitioners in high-performance sport, but I think just in society in general, we're a blame culture first. So if something goes wrong, it's quite easy just to point the finger and say that you're not pulling your weight or I told you so or, or whatever it might be. Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6 p.m. where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. I am your host, Jack McLean. And today my guest is Nathan Spencer, who's currently the Senior Strength and Conditioning Coach at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. And our key topic of today's chat will be around adaptability and the key strength and conditioning staff's trait for working in elite sport. Before we start this episode, our mission here at Prepare Like a Pro is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and subscribing to the podcast or on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the next, the next bit of time and going through a few different bits and pieces. So, yeah, thanks for inviting me on. No, thank you for coming on. And yeah, likewise, really looking forward to our chat and, and to dive into the details, like the topic that you mentioned uh, in terms of adaptability and how important that is for strength and conditioning coaches. But before we do, mate, for those that aren't aware of your work, can you provide us a, a quick update on your background in strength and conditioning and elite sport? Yeah, for sure. As you said, currently one of three senior SNCs here at New South Wales Institute of Sport head. You know, headed up by the head of the whole department, Alex Natera, who his work kind of needs no introduction, and and Simon Harry's head of SNC, who spent a lot of time in the AFL spaces and and you know rugby sevens and and NRL as well. But like most of us, you know, failed athletes, you know, not very good, not as motivated as we probably needed to be. I knew I wanted to work in this industry in some way, shape, or form, and. Uh, in the university, Bachelor of Exphys at UNSW, worked actually as a clinical EP for a few years whilst also doing, you know, honorarium, volunteer positions, and eventually into some paid work in a couple of NRL clubs, you know, West Tigers and St. George Laura Dragons. And the, the, the Dragons job was sort of my first, you know, full-time, reasonably paid, reasonably well paid position. And then sort of after that, completed or was completing my master's of high performance sport through ACU as I think one of the first cohorts to go through that program and got a lot out of that and met some incredible people who were doing just amazing things in, in our spaces at you know, a different whole different number of levels, both domestically, internationally, you know, academia, pro, elite, semi-elite spaces, really pushing the, you know, the limits of what we do is in high-performance sport. And that during that time made the transition into the NBL, work with Illawarra Hawks. And that was in conjunction with a private facility, Med Performance, who had the contract for the, f the medical side of things with the Illawarra Hawks in the NBL. And 
So those two ran kind of kind of nicely. And then was introed through mutual connections through that master's program to Dave Tenney, who became my boss when I made the, the jump in 2018 to work overseas in the, in the States, initially as performance and rehab coach for the Orlando Magic in the NBA. And then after 18 months, I moved into the, the head head of S&C role there. And then, yeah, just just recently, just just come back. So uh, July this this year, just July 2022, yeah, made, made the transition back to Australia, and and yeah, and now here at at N Swiss, and and honestly, just yeah, I really love the the change and embracing it, and really really enjoying really enjoying my time here. Some good some good work with some some really really good people, um, both within the S and C department or the the performance support services, and and a couple of really really good coaches as well in in the women's water polo program. So enjoying that at the moment, and yeah. That's that's kind of I guess a quick five minute summary of my career to date I guess. No, thanks for sharing, mate. And but no doubt you've had some strong influences and mentors along the way during that journey, working in different codes and and now in the institute setting as well. Who have been some strong influences and and how they sort of impacted your philosophy, if you like. I've tried to draw from a lot of people at all different levels in everything that I've been in, in every role that I've ever had. So. Going back very early on to as an intern, you know, I can still remember some key things from the late Sean Burns, who was the head of strength conditioning at the West Tigers at the time. And you know, Tim Sheens as an NRL coach was outstanding. And and Todd Payton, who at that time was still playing, but has transitioned into a coaching role and is obviously was now the head coach at the North Queensland Cowboys. And you know, Toddy's philosophy on coaching and his approach with the, with his players, I think, is is second to none, and, and a lot of the staff at the club there: Balen Couples, who's at the New Zealand Warriors; Ben Rogers, who is a head of recruitment and development now at the Parramatta Eels. Those guys have all been pretty instrumental in me early on, and and coaches I worked with then at the time: you know, Chris Bradbury, Shane Sultana, Andrew Webster were all really, really good to work with. And then transitioning into you know basketball and and into the Dragons, are people I still. All these people sort of this day I keep in touch with and bounce ideas off and just, you know, happy to grab a coffee and grab a beer and those types of things. But Dan Lawson, Scott Mutton, Rob Beveridge, Kieran Howell at Catapult, great for me with some, some research stuff. And then, yeah, more recently, Dave Tenney, Luke Story, Matt Tabernar, Bryce Murphy in the States. Um, and and even, you know, in, in other spaces like Adam Waterson, who's the head of SNC at LA Galaxy another Aussie and, and Alex Calder, who's a, a fellow Aussie working in the MLS, they're sharing some similar sort of life experiences and cultural adaptations and just going through those things together has been really quite you know, quite nice. And and then I guess more you know, more recently, obviously Alex Natera, Simon Harris, Shane Lahan from the Sydney Swans and yeah, the, the the coaching staff here, Rebecca Rippon at the moment, learning a hell of a lot from her in regards to to women's water polo as a two-time Olympian ex-athlete and having never worked with Olympic athletes, I'm, I'm learning a lot from her and she's great to bounce ideas off. Um, but then, you know, you think back to to athletes that you've worked with as well and sort of you know, things that you shared with them and I've learned some hard lessons, some very important lessons that I think that they've taught me the more, more that I've, more than that I have taught them. The rewards and the highlights, I guess, then or who, who's influenced some of the, the things that I've done. I think back to athletes that I've worked with very early on in academy pathway programs in, in the rugby league spaces and seeing guys like Mitchell Moses, Luke Brooks, you know, progress and play first grade, Ray Stone, 
on Free Barn, you know, the the Siren and Brothers, you know, Matt Dufty, Adam Clune, all these kids who you've had when they're 15, 16 through to 20 years of age and they're, they're playing and they're established first grade players is is really rewarding. And then, you know, in, in the basketball setting, guys like Nick Vucevic, you know, two-time All-Star and, and and Markel Fultz have been pretty, pretty influential on me in developing thoughts and ideas around just athlete management. So yeah, they're probably some of the bigger the, the bigger ones that spring to mind when you ask that question. Yeah, it's a good segue, mate, into the next one in terms of highlights. Like what what spring up to mind when you reflect back over your career and yeah, moments that you're really proud of to be a part. Of, yeah, working elite sport. There's there's obviously the big ones that are sort of publicly publicly recognised with major team wins that you're involved with. And for me, the highlight, I was very fortunate that my time in Orlando. We I was a part of the staff that were successful in breaking a pretty lengthy playoff drought. So to be a part of that was really quite quite tremendous. It wasn't necessarily the first in both years, the playoff series that was memorable, but it was game 81 when we played. We were in ninth position and we needed to win one of the last two games in order to clinch a playoff spot. And it was either for seventh or eighth. And we needed a couple of results to go away if we lost game 81. And, and we're playing against Boston in Boston, who were good at the time. Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, and Escanta was at the center, I think. You know, Marcus Smart, like they had an incredible, an incredible roster. You know, a large portion of the team they had then, they went on to obviously win the Eastern Conference last year and push push the Warriors to a pretty, a pretty tight playoff, you know, finals campaign. But being involved in that night and one of the unfortunate things about the NBA environment is you move on to the next game so quickly that you don't have a chance to sort of reflect. And it's it's a great teaching point because you have to forget and just and just move on to the next thing. But mm-hmm. that night, winning in Boston, Evan Fournier with a, a really clutch play, just a really ballsy play, drive to the rim, draw through contact, and that was kind of the and and get the bucket. And that was a nail in the coffin. We knew we had him with a few seconds to go. And the the elation that night, players, the staff and Everybody celebrating together. Just we we went to a a crappy little a dive bar around the corner and just had pizzas and a couple of beers and just all coaching staff just in one room celebrating the, just the elation, the joy, and knowing that collectively we're working towards one goal and and that was the goal for that year and we had achieved it. We still wanted to do more, which we weren't successful with. We lost out the first round of the playoffs to the Toronto Raptors, who won it that season. But um, that was a big one. And then as the as I touched on previously, just seeing those young athletes transition and to achieve their their goals is, is always a highlight for me. And it's something I'm really enjoying now working with the water polo program is my goal, or my, my, my sole job responsibility really is to help put these athletes in positions to make Olympic teams and, and, and be successful Olympic campaigns. So going through goal setting processes with them and and, and challenging them and having the luxury now to have individual projects with the athletes where they can pose really challenging questions to me on how I can help them. That's something that I'm really, really embracing and, and trying to take those learning experiences from previous environments and to, do, to apply them here. And, and then there's, the, there's also the injury side of things. When you work with athletes who have been out for an incredibly long period of time for any particular injury and you see them make returns and while their immediate impact might not necessarily be successful as far as you know points scored or whatever but just seeing their relation and and 
that sense of accomplishment when they get back onto the field or the court or in the pool or whatever it may be and that they're actually able to participate and play the sport that they love. Pro setting, it's there are some athletes who do it because they're good at it. They get paid a lot of money for it. And there are, there are some more so than others who do it because they love it. And when you see those athletes get back to doing what they do and what they do best, knowing that you're a part of that journey in some way, shape or form is always fulfilling. And yeah, I mentioned hard lessons in terms of challenges that you've faced. No doubt there's a fair few and there's, a, there's pressure that comes with elite sport, but what are some challenges that you've faced and, and uh, feel free to sort of share, I guess, the stories that you're comfortable with sharing in a public format. But yeah, big, big challenges that you've faced and, and how have you grown from facing them? It's a big thing, in my opinion, and it kind of, I guess, forms a basis of the, the key part of what we're obviously going to talk about being adaptable as a as an SNC, but I think that also speaks to being adaptable as a as a human being. A big part of that for me has been actually embracing change and not and not fearing change. And the way I view that now is that every opportunity, every every change that we're presented with is just another opportunity to solve a problem, in my opinion. And there was someone actually who has been incredibly influential in my thought processes, not necessarily just hard skill development, but in how I tackle and solve problems as a, a clinical psychologist who was a, a part of the, the staff in Orlando, who was great for just great for me as a sounding board, Dr. Joe Carella. His golden line to me was that us against a problem, not you against in solving a problem. And I think that's where we can get a little bit where, where conflict can arise in 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 pro settings and there's you know challenges of philosophies and those types of things. But at the end of the day, that the problem that we're all trying to solve is is probably the same the same thing, and and you may have a different way to do it, and and I may, and that's not to say one way is better than the other. They're just they're just different. And as soon as we have that mentality that okay, it's you with me against something else, sort of I think changes our our mindset. So been a lot of lot of challenges that I've been faced with that adopted that mindset have actually become so much easier to go overcome. The biggest things that spring to mind as far as just overall challenges are concerned is has been relocating to to the US and accepting a role where a dream opportunity to work with, you know, an NBA franchise and you think about the names that the Magic have produced, Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway, and even the guys now that are there, Nick Vujovic, you know, Tracy McGrady, there's, you know, an an illustrious amount of names that come through from a pretty prestigious organization. And to be a part of that was just so, so exciting. But when I moved being aware of the cultural differences just within the US and the you know how the organizations are run differently. And if I had my time over, I would definitely go back and create more of an awareness and educate myself on some of those things. And I think a part of that too has also then shaped my perception and my perception has changed on what our role as practitioners is, I think very early on, and or, or even senior practitioners, we can have a we have a belief or a big part of our philosophy is that we are the biggest part of the program. It's it's definitely, in my opinion, not the case, and that our role, like we're we're in the service industry, whereas we're performance support first and foremost. And that as I've moved into different positions and become more of a somewhat of a leadership position in in different different ways leadership can be either you can be a cowboy or a shepherd sometimes there's a combination of both but but i think that approach can be taken it can be applied to what we do as as snc's you're either a cowboy where it's my way or the highway or 
you know, if you if you're confident in in what you know, and we should be confident in what we know, we should have a very you know diverse array of tools, and we should have a great breadth and depth of knowledge. And if we're well versed in all those different facets of strength and conditioning, then we should be confident and comfortable in in what we're doing, and we should actually be able to be more of a shepherd than than a cowboy, in my opinion. You know, being fired, that's, that's happened to all of us, or it will happen to all of us, just a part of our industry, it's, it's, yeah, especially in the, the pro and elite setting. Early on in your career, when that happens and, and you're faced with the decision of, you know, do I stay and pursue a career in an industry that's very volatile or do I do I leave and, and pursue it in the, you know, non-professional or non-elite setting and work in the, the private private spaces or do I go and apply it in something you also get an academic you know, academic route or, or whatever it may be. That that's 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 always a challenge and um very happy with my decision there to stay in to stay in and do it when those things were faced when I was faced with those challenges because I'm I'm very happy with where I am at the moment and what I'm doing and I love my job. I I, I love I love what I do. And then more recently, especially over the past sort of four to five years, is the challenge for me has been establishing a, a a work-life balance, and I don't think there ever is a balance. I think there's a give or take, and it's a bit of a seesaw. And in previous role, it was definitely work over over the the work side. So work was dominating the the life side of things. I think as you as you get older, and and your appreciation for what's important and what you what you value as a as a person maybe changes the goalposts for you change and that's where your career trajectory may change and those types of things so for me just being comfortable with that embracing it and you know a- a- accepting that I'm, I'm 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 where i am and I'm, I'm really happy happy doing what i'm what i'm doing and it could be very easy for people especially young practitioners to get hung up on i want to work or i need to work in this space to be successful mm. when the reality is is that there's a very finite amount of jobs in the professional elite in elite spaces, but where the really good work exists and where you can actually make a lot of change is in semi-pro developmental spaces where maybe the financial reward and 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 money and resources in those programs may not be as great, but the impact you have is actually or could be far greater. So I think if you can if you adjust your mindset there, you can have a huge huge impact on on those things. Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing, Matt. It's such a great insight into no doubt what was a significant change in yeah, relocating and then working in such a, a big sport, probably the, the top, as high as it gets in terms of NBA. You mentioned that if you had your time again, preparation in terms of understanding the nuance and the culture, how do you think you would do that? Is that speaking to practitioners that are in the NBA or yeah, for those that maybe are listening that are, are facing that current opportunity of relocation and, and significant change, what would you do specifically? I I spoke to practitioners at the time, largely in the SNC realms, and they gave me some really good advice that I tried to implement. One lesson came and, and came and bit me on the on the backside a little bit there. But my role, my initial role, was performance and rehab coach, which I think if you're in an AFL club, it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, you're the yeah. bridge between you know physio and SNC and late stage rehab, and you're probably SNC trained. But have a better understanding of loading adaptations to specific injuries and better hard skill set in some of the sports sciences and data manipulation and those types of things as well. Mm. So you, you take that role and then you you apply it in a US setting where you have athletic trainers, physical therapists, strength coaches. There's a lot of crossover between those disciplines. 
know, for me, not even being familiar of what an athletic trainer and a physical therapist was, and then trying to establish what my role actually was as a performance and rehab coach when it crossed over with a lot of that. And then also into SNC, you've then got four practitioners dealing with injury management strategies rather than maybe two. Yeah. So I think that challenge specifically was quite unique because the role was unique. But if I had my time over again, I would definitely go through and look at, well, like what are the, what's the organizational structure of, of, of the team that you're going to work in? Where does my role sit within that? Who are the people that are there? What are their background and experiences? I worked with practitioners who would come from private setting, from collegiate setting, where they had worked with in as a sole practitioner in athletic training. They had taken athletes from you know, day zero all the way through to end stage rehab return to play. So they were accustomed to going through the whole process. Then you had PTs who were involved in certain parts of rehab. So getting a better understanding of just those things, I think, would have been a, a huge, huge help for me just to have a have better conversations earlier on would be the, the big thing there. In terms of adaptability for those that haven't worked in elite sport yet, what would be some, I guess, do's and then and equally some don'ts? So for someone that is really rigid and, and, you, and trying to work in a team, how does that show up in a, in a team format where you're trying to collaborate that can be a, a bit of an issue for a high-performance team, do you think? First thing there, I think, is to ask, ask the question of their perspective on things to gain an insight as to their thought processes. And and secondly, make sure that the goal or the obstacle that you're trying to pivot around is really well defined. Because if it's not in your your interpretation of what we're trying to achieve versus my interpretation of what we're trying to achieve are two different things, well then we're never going to work together. We're never going to work efficiently together. Whereas if if we're clearly aligned on what the end goal is, I think that's half half the battle. And in in rehab cases specifically, when you have practitioners who and, and they're quite the easiest example here is take a surgeon with an ACL. Their role is to repair the ACL. What they do once they're once they're sewn back up and is manage some swelling and, and pain and discharge and hand off to the medical staff. They'll check back in, but as far as the day to day management is concerned and any clinical outcomes, like they're not going to have a huge impact on what actually. They care, but they don't actually have control on what happens on the day-to-day. Their objectives versus our objectives as, as staff are, are totally, totally different. So having those things established and understanding that this is the surgeon's expectations, these are the, the physio's expectations, this is the coach's expectations of where they want them to come back in and, and just having that really well-defined, I think, is, would be really, really important. And then having a process to identify what you need to work around. I think early on, you need to think more consciously about that. But then as you challenge you're faced with more and more challenges and you need to be adaptable and, and pivot in your in your in your decision making skills. We need to be critical thinkers. That starts to become heuristic. And I, I guess for that from a rehab sense and then from a performance point of view, you mentioned you went into that head S and C role where I, I imagine you start to work closely with the coaches, planning training and so forth. Equally that that same question went from a, when working with coaches that maybe they're focusing on their side and then there's the physical side. Is it the same process? Find out what where they're coming from, what their end goal is and try and make that aligned with the with the physical goal when you're working yeah, with them. Definitely in an MBA setting, you don't work strictly with the head coach because the co- the coaching staff is so large. So I mean the, the performance staff is there's fifteen players, the performance staff is eleven or twelve. 
it's almost a one-to-one ratio and your coaching staff is nearly 20. So the, the, the approach that most organizations will take will be a team of teams approach where the head coach sort of sits above everybody and so does a performance director and there's pods of staff that are responsible for the development, physical, tactical, skill acquisition, cognitive for every athlete. So, you know, assistant coaches or, or SNCs or whatever it may be, potentially different philosophies, but same outcomes. But then that obviously comes back from the head coach and what they're and also management on what they're trying to what they're trying to work on and where they deem improvement, what what areas of improvement they think are, are obviously critical for the athletes and where they are in their careers and everything. Um I think in settings here where your number of staff and ratio of staff to athlete is considerably different, then you have more involvement with head coaches and those types of things. And and also the other thing in that specifically with with MBA is you play every two days. So you actually don't train. Like you, there's no practices. Um, you, you, your practices are your shoot rounds and they're tactical. You're going through play structures of what you're doing for that evening. Very very infrequently are actually getting through any scrimmages and and those types of things. So, and I think that that question that you just asked there was my mindset of okay, this is how it worked in NRL, this is how it worked in NBL because you play one maybe two games a week, where you're constantly communicating with head coach on training plan, volumes, intensities, what you want guys to be working towards, and how to manipulate drills and everything with the end goal to win games. The same goal just in an 82 game season, but your constraints that you're working in are very, very different. So being able to shift your thinking and, okay, how do we still achieve those goals and how do I work with people I'm working with just needs to be fluid and, yep. again, just, just solve those problems. Yep. And it's a challenging one to answer, but in, how, do you, how do you have awareness around whether you need to be adaptable or the person in front of you needs to be adaptable maybe when you're now in a leadership position or managerial you know position maybe giving feedback to someone who's working under you or vice versa someone who's above you how do you sort of navigate through that that's a really really good question if that was me now the first question i'm asking myself is how do i contribute to the problem and have i done all i can to minimize my contribution to that problem because i think it's unfortunately this isn't just of of us as practitioners in high performance sport but i think just in society in general, we're a blame culture first. So if something goes wrong, it's quite easy just to point the finger and say that you're not pulling your weight or I told you so or, or whatever it might be. But if things aren't going the way they should be going, whether you're an athlete or a staff member or management or whoever it is, if you can honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, well, am I, am I doing what I should be doing and am I contributing to the to the solution or am I contributing to the problem? And if you're more contributing to the problem, well, then I think you need to look at what you're doing for yourself first. And that actually may be like a fix. And then if you're not doing that, then you probably earn the right to challenge those within the group that you're working with to solve whatever problem it is that you can then say, well, this clearly isn't working. How we, this is how I perceive to be contributing to the problem or solution. Give me some feedback. Are you the same? So that's probably, the I think, one of the the best ways to go about it. But in order to do that, as I said before, you need to be very comfortable with what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you need to be very comfortable being vulnerable, comfortable being uncomfortable. And on the flip side, like for athletes where you want to be more adaptable from from their you know, from a playing perspective, what are some of your favorite methods or philosophies in terms of building adaptability in, in athletes from a physical point of view? It's I think a large part of that is is 
cognitive development, to be perfectly honest, and developing the critical thinking skills to, again, solve just to solve any problem that they're faced with. And part of that, I think, is actually starts very early on in, in development spaces when coaches, and I'm talking skill, tactical coaches, we teach athletes to play a certain way, whatever the sport is, rather than identifying what their strengths and weaknesses, whether it be physical or tactical are concerned, and then and building a game model or a performance model to suit to suit that. I think our we have say benchmarks or KPIs that we identify athletes with with because we want them to fit a particular a particular system and structure. But the great ones are the 99th percentile that don't fit the model but stand out because they do something very unique. Mm. So I think as coaching staff or as performance support staff, our role there is to create environments that facilitate critical thinking and decision making, but also but also in 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 doing that, allow for mistakes as well. And then allow for pressure to be built and allow for it to be purposeful pressure. I think often where athletes crumble is when they're faced with situations where obviously that they're not used to and you hear it in commentary all the time it's a pressure situation and how do you train and prepare for that so being specific and purposeful and training with intent is a big piece of that in my opinion but yeah creating situations that are strategically designed to evoke a bit of a struggle I think is a big big piece of that then that then mm. too and then that's obviously a collaborative process with your whole coaching staff that are involved and, and whether that's in pre-season and in-season. And it, it could be very, very simple with late-game scenario. It could be, you know, manipulation of, of athletes that, you, that you're working with or that you're opposing against each other so that some are, it's a bias, it's going to be a biased outcome and how do the underdogs handle it so on and so forth. But there's some, you know, I, think, I think when you put coaches in a room, and if they, again, if that's the goal, and there'll be some really good creativity that flows and, and ideas and ways in which you can create those things. And how much of that do you think is planned from a, from a coach's perspective? Like is it this session's going to be, yeah, we're going to challenge the, the athletes all the time. If the drill's being done too well, we're going we're to make it harder. Or you know, is it something that you periodize through blocks or is it something that is a bit more individual maybe with athletes that you think are you know, already really elite and have been doing it for quite some time? So it's more something that you just constantly but are challenging that individual player. I think it depends on where the athletes are at, obviously. Like if you've got younger athletes, there's still that element of learning to train and learning mm-hmm. the, what, the, what the basics and fundamentals are. And then as as the athletes become more successful and they're more in tuned with, with their bodies and the outcomes that they're working towards, then they should actually be able to challenge challenge us. So you, you can be strategic then in periodizing it in certain ways, but just through observation in some training sessions, and I can give a specific example from a, you know, a water polo training session the other day. Like there was a five-minute drink break, and the girls just started a game, a, a, a scoring game that the coach then loved because it was a, specifically relating to late-game outcome and a man down in defence, a woman down in defence. Sorry, and that then became a drill. So I think when you give in in that case, you gave the athletes just naturally had some freedom and some creativity, and the coach saw it, embraced it, and pushed the rest of the training plan away 
ironically, it was actually still the, the, the last drill of the session was a late game scenario. So it kind of fit anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was able to pivot and identify that what the athletes were doing was actually still purposeful and was going to meet the goal and embraced it and actually got those athletes to run that drill. So that, that problem solving critical thinking skill set, you're developing that at the same time rather than just teaching and and coaching for the sake of coaching, but creating situations where the athletes coach themselves and have to solve you know, solve those problems for those scenarios. And have you, know, you touched on before how important purpose and intent is, like there's the, the intent and purpose of the drill when it's come from within go up a notch like in terms of engagement when it's come from the athletes? I believe so, yeah. Just just subjectively, just just watching, I think that if if you've created something, I think it's just kind of natural for you yeah. to do that. Um, and also, like just a change of voice is is quite nice too. So when the athletes see that that someone's developed something, but the coach also supports that, like that, that's a big, big piece of that. If the coach was in that situation was to, you know, push it aside and say, no, that's not what we're doing, and and you know, not have the bigger picture in mind, you maybe crush that for the sake of crushing it. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, I think that when you can facilitate that in your athletes, then they're probably going to be able to do it, like when it when it matters as well. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and going back to strength and conditioning staff, for those perhaps need to work on their adaptability and maybe aren't aware of it yet when you're leading teams, what are some ways that you can try and build that awareness or, or improve adaptability in staff? It's, I think it's developed from you know, life experience and also like on, on job as well. Mm-hmm. I think is. As kids, as teenagers, as young adults, it's I said you know you got to develop those critical thinking skills, and there's you know, masters, you know, masters programs in high performance sport that are specifically aimed at developing those those thinking skill sets. Um, it's like being accustomed to being faced with divert, with adversity and being tested both formally and informally, in my opinion, and you can do that through a number of different ways. Traveling. And going and throwing yourself into different you know, non English speaking countries and 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 working out a ways to order coffee, order food, pay for things that you're not accustomed to doing. And early on, perhaps maybe taking calculated risks, but you still they're not they're not comfortable because it's it's very it's very difficult to embrace embrace change and embrace adversity, and you have to maybe lean into the uncomfortable. So if it's a calculated risk, then it's an easy way to do it. Having that. That learn like that experiential learning cycle. I think there is really important too. We have to experience something, reflect on it, reflect and think on it, and then act. And that's where it obviously becomes becomes heuristic. And then I think as as young staff, you should be able to challenge your senior senior people or your HPMs to provide environments that you're unable to do that. I think rightfully or wrongfully. We traditionally look at them as practitioners with great hard skill sets and an and application of certain philosophies. But the great ones that I've worked with, they just sit back and facilitate those learning experiences strategically and, and naturally and allow the staff to make those mistakes to know that they're probably going to solve it 10 times better, 10 times better next one. And I think the key word with that job title is like, you're a manager not a practitioner and we associate that often with managing say the athlete or the program but we need to remember that those people are responsible for managing staff so as a young practitioner if you don't feel like that your performance manager is actually managing you and helping you develop then you should be able to challenge them 
on that. And I, I think that's a key responsibility in those HPMs, HPMs roles. But then once once you face that, embrace it and, and act on it. Don't just ask for feedback and ask for a challenge when if you, if you don't go and then do it, well, then we don't have a right to hold that role, to, to, in my opinion. But yeah. that's a key that's a key part of it. And there's obviously a lot of mistakes that, that you can make and but being able to identify those is pretty pretty critical. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, mate, for sharing it's such an interesting topic to dive into and something that no matter if you're an athlete or, or a staff member in sport, you can apply it to anything or even if you're a business owner, anything in life, I think it can transfer. So appreciate you, you coming on and, and discussing that in great detail, mate. We'll, we'll start to move into the wrapping up the show. This is more of some personal questions, a bit of a lighter touch on the podcast, yep. but pet peeves, mate, in your working life, do you have anything that fires you up, fires you up or, or annoys you? That's a yeah, it's a good question. But I don't, I don't know if I've got any specific sort of pet peeves. I think if I could maybe, if I could maybe change one thing. Mm. It would be in my in my current role. It would be the time that these athletes have. Like they do some. You got athletes that are they work full time jobs. They study. They have school for some of them. They are in the pool for. 14, 16 hours a week plus gym sessions. Like they have a full time training load. I would love it if these athletes that have amazing you know, attitudes and approaches to training and they, they do it all with a purpose, like if they were professional, I would, you know, I would love to see their physical, technical, technical capacities just go through the roof. So it's not a, and that's obviously a constraint of the environment that we, we work in, but I would love to be able to see that, see that change. I think you would. You would just see the level of athletes that we produce just go from, from here to from here to here. But a dirty gym is always one thing that that grinds my gears a, a little bit. And and I'm I got to admit I got called out on that the other day. Here I, I left a K box out and, and also left something else out that I then owed the staff coffees for, and that was fine. But yeah, dirty gym or putting things back in the wrong places and bumpers versus just, just those little things. I'm OCD with that type of stuff. Yeah. Yep. And um, what about favorite way to spend your day off? I've got more of them now, so I can answer that question. A good coffee, hundred percent, either beach or golf course, and then undoubtedly the, the the day would have to finish with a great restaurant with my wife, hundred percent. We're both foodies, so going and spending time and and you know, devouring some type of elaborate meal would would be high on the list for the day. Yep. And we're coming to a close for two thousand twenty-two. Uh, sort of a a hybrid question, but yeah, what's the festive season look like for you? wrapping up the year, but also what's on the horizon for 2023? What are you excited about for next year? A festive season, I'm really looking forward to just being able to spend a Christmas with my family for the first time in four years. That's going to be, and I think for most people, obviously with COVID having destroyed travel and everything. So, But yeah, not being home to celebrate Christmas with either my family or my wife's family for the past four years. So that's going to be very exciting. 2023, the big thing for me is undoubtedly the birth of my first child, expecting late January, early February. So that's going to be... Congratulations. Thank you. That's that's undoubtedly going to be the highlight personally, but then professionally, being a part of the preparation for Paris in 2024 is is, going to be a big, big thing. Um, At N-Swiss, we're undertaking a huge strength science journey and upskilling professionally with all facets of of strength and, and power and and. You know, eight key elements of, of what what strength science actually is. So being involved in that and, and getting to you know discuss some of the best practitioner practitioners in the world, you know their philosophies and bring them in and talk to us and our staff is is 
has been and will continue to be a huge thing. And then also about to start a PhD. So very, oh wow, yeah, Plenty very, epic. yeah, very much looking forward to getting into all that. But as I said before, that the, the 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 big cake there is the yeah family and 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 kids on the way. So yeah, can't yeah can't wait for that. Yeah, wrapped for you, mate. There's plenty exciting things on the horizon for you. So that sounds like an awesome year next year, and good to be able to share it with with loved ones and and enjoy some the festive season, particularly if it's been four years for you, mate. So yeah, wrapped to hear that. With in terms of someone who hasn't worked in institutes, that's probably a selfish question, but also for all those that haven't worked in it as well. You mentioned Alex Tira and Simon Harris and yourself. So how does that sort of look? What type of athletes do you, do you guys look over, over from over a year basis, and 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 how do you manage the the institute with that where there's three managers if you like or head of yeah so great question and obviously like institutes are perceived as you know very integral parts and governing bodies of of the australian sporting landscape and will undoubtedly play a more prominent role as we move towards brisbane in 2032 and swiss specifically has 450 scholarship athletes so as a former support staff Alex Natera's responsibility is he sits across the major disciplines of sports science, biomechanics, physiology, and strength conditioning. And then beneath him will be a, a number of heads of departments. Simon Harris is head of strength conditioning. And there's head of physiology, head of biome- head of movement science, which encompasses biomechanics, performance analysis, and then performance health, which is physio, is is separate separate to him. And then as as S and C's, Simon doesn't Simon doesn't have any direct responsibility as far as programming for athletes is concerned. We we have. 11 full-time strength conditioning coaches so as i said I'm, I'm one of three seniors who have only one sporting responsibility so I'm, I'm responsible for the delivery of the water polo program our other two seniors are responsible for the rowing at the national one at the national training center and then the other is for archery both para and able-bodied and then the rest of our snc staff are responsible for the other olympic programs that are held here at nswiss that includes winter sport psych martial arts through taekwondo boxing track and field diving a very large program here i'm sure of a hockey is another very large one with the national training center in perth i'm sure i've missed some others as well but yeah you, you your role can be delineated into looking after a number of sports or or just after one depending on Number of athletes, support from the national sporting organisation, and 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 also medal likelihood as well. That does factor into how sports provided. Other institutes, QAS, VIS, WACE, ACTAS, like SASE, they all have different sports allocated. So again, like the, the national training centre for cycling is actually in South Australia. So the the Australian athletes or the, the national representatives be based out of there. The N Swiss program is a TID pathway to get to. The South Australian setup, water polo is that again that I'm working with is decentralised. So half the athletes are in Queensland, half of them are here at N Swiss. Sailing is a is an embedded program, so they'll train at Middle Harbour. That's a big one here as well. But again, the N Swiss program supports the national the national program. So there's a lot of staff as S and Cs. We work primarily on the strength side of things with physiologists doing the conditioning or physiology support. And that's one very unique thing, I guess, that in a pro setting, you're kind of a jack of all trades and then you throw rehab into that then too, where you you have to have a bit of skill acquisition, performance analysis, S&C with you know, emphasis on both the S and the C side of things. Whereas here, you can kind of put your, your blinkers on a little bit and focus just on the, the strength and power side of things because you do have physiology support, movement science in, in biomech performance analysis, skill acquisition. So 
you've got great experts in those areas that you can bounce ideas off and, and have some really good conversations with to solve solve problems. And at the recent in conference in the Gold Coast, we we actually had a problem a thon where coaches came in and would have a specific problem and each sort of break up into different disciplines and, and talk about ways in which we would tackle them. And so as staff, even to develop our critical thinking skills there, that's yeah, that's great. Thanks for such a yeah, thorough insight to how it all works. And yeah, it sounds like a great space to be working in a great environment for, for the athletes as well. For those that want to ask any follow-up questions from today's chat, mate, is there a best place to get in contact with yourself? Yeah, for sure. All the socials, LinkedIn is probably the one of the easiest to get a hold of me. Twitter, I think my handle's at Nate Spencer. I think Instagram is performance coach underscore Spencer from memory. I'm not huge on there, but probably the, the easiest way is just, just LinkedIn, I, w- I would say, is the best the best way to get in touch. If anyone's got any questions or wants to talk shop about anything, I'm more than happy to. So please drop me a line and always just continue to develop our network and collab and talk and so everyone, everyone improving, yeah. Awesome, mate. That's uh, that's fantastic. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll add those links for those listening in that might be driving. We'll add them in the show notes. So, yeah, thanks again, Nathan, for, for jumping on and sharing with us your time and, and experience in elite sport and more importantly around adaptability and how important it is if you want to have a, a sustainable career in elite sport as well as from an athlete's perspective as well for high performance. So really appreciate your time, mate, and uh, yeah, looking forward to what the rest of your career following you closely will entail. And for those that tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the very start. This episode will live on our YouTube channel until we publish it on our podcast platform. Our next live chat won't be for some time as I'm going overseas for a period. So we'll be with Vern Bank Gambetta on the Thursday, the 19th of January. So make sure to pencil that one in as it'll be another fantastic chat. I'll see you guys all then. Thanks again, Nath. Thanks, mate. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. 
it was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose... One thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and um, you know I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.